Tonight's Old Testament reading is Isaiah 40, 9-11. Go up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening. My name's Glenn Hoberg, serve as one of the pastors here at Grace Downtown. And I mentioned last week, this is a special season for us, not only because it's Advent season, but also we in our network, our three church network, have the pastors rotate and preach at different congregations. And last week we had Pastor Russ Whitfield, and this week we have uh, Pastor Duke Kwan, who uh, has been part of this network, foundational pastor in this network, since about a year and a half or two years after I showed up. Uh, so much of the history and story has been with this brother, uh, planted our sister congregation, Grace Meridian, coming up on 12 years. Uh, so praise God for that. And, uh, you know, one of the uh, blessings I mentioned that we have a chance to see how God has blessed us with gifts and teaching during this Advent season. But also, I have to confess personally, I get to sit under some of my favorite preachers, period. Um, and uh, men that I have known personally and their faith uh, attracts me to Christ. So we're so grateful to have you here, Duke, and to have you preach. Let's welcome our brother. It's a joy to be with you here uh, this evening. Always a joy, a special joy, um, on this anniversary of our sister Jessie's baptism. I, I remember that last year. Um, so it's a, a special pleasure and delight uh, to share this evening and again with you. Um, if anything hard is said during this upcoming sermon, um, it may or may not apply to a pastor over here that I'm not going to look at. <laughs> so just so you know, okay, uh, let's bow our heads and pray. Let's pray together. Jesus, there, there's a, a lot of darkness a lot of darkness within and without. And so we're so grateful uh, because you call your word a light. Would you let your light shine in our hearts? Would you let light shine upon our feet, guiding our paths? Let your word direct our hearts. Help us to see Jesus, the light of the world. And so come now. Um, give us your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. What do you see? What do you see? Not literally, 
You know, I, I see a sanctuary, crowd of people, dude up front asking me weird questions. Not literally. What do you see? What's always in your field of vision, as it were, in your life right now? Maybe it's a, a, a romantic partner. It's like you see their face everywhere. Or maybe it's your job or your schoolwork where you always see that, that list of unfinished tasks sort of scrolling before your eyes. Or maybe it's something that's just hurting. You know the way pain does that. The thing that's hurting, a, a hard relationship, a hard decision, and everything just seems to remind you of it. A few weeks ago, right after turning off the lights at night, my youngest daughter said to me, uh, Daddy, I, I still see lights flashing. It, it's like there's stars inside of my eyes. See, if you stare at something long enough, even after closing your eyes, you can still see it everywhere. What are you staring at these days? What do you see? Our passage today from Isaiah chapter 40 is an Advent invitation to see. As Pastor Russ showed us last week, looking at the first part of this chapter, it's a chapter in which God promises comfort to his people. They've rebelled against God, resisted his grace, refused to repent. So they were forced into exile by pillaging armies from Assyria, from Babylon. So they lost everything they treasured. Homes, livelihood, loved ones, even, it seemed, their God. All they see around them is a heap of ruins, destruction, darkness, depravity, death. And maybe that puts some words to what you have been feeling lately. Maybe it's not literal exile that you're suffering under, but you feel far from home, estranged maybe from vital relationships, homesick in the heart. Maybe you've been feeling the burden and the weight of your own depravity, sin, guilt, and shame clouding your life. Maybe you have been walking through something that feels like a valley of the shadow of death. And in the midst of this darkness, a herald of good news shows up into our passage, shows up into our lives. See, it's as if a, a word has just come from some watchman at a distance. Light has dawned in the darkness. The king has finally come. And a herald announces breaking news. Behold, your God. Behold is a, a seen word. It's used three times. Behold is an invitation to look, to take notice, to see. Do you see? Your God, returning victorious from battle, crowned with light, 
riding hard on a, a galloping horse to bring back to his people, to you, comfort. Comfort for his sinful, suffering, beloved ones. Theologian Herman Bovink once wrote, to believe is to struggle against the appearance of things. I know things appear dark, desolate. In the midst of it all, however, do you know what you most need? You need to see. You need to see God. You need to see God coming to you. The God who advents, behold your God. But there's something specific that this passage invites us to see and to notice about this God who comes near. It's his arms. He wants you to see his arms. This imagery is found twice, verse 10, verse 11, in this passage, and it actually links the whole passage all together. We're told to notice two things about these arms of God. They are arms of mightiness, and they are arms of tenderness. Arms of mightiness, arms of tenderness. Let's look at each of these in turn. First, Mightiness. Look at verse 10. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm, there it is, his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. God's arm is a symbol of his strength. Sometimes the Bible will talk about God stretching out his hand, his arm, ready for battle, ready to judge with power. Sometimes the Bible will refer to his ability, his power. Isaiah 59 is an example. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, not unable to rescue you, to grab a hold of you, to embrace and love you. Isaiah 52.10, the Lord has bared his holy arm, bared his arm before the eyes of all nations. Listen, God invites you to watch him flex. You see his arm. Other words and expressions support this picture of God's power. He's referred to as the Lord God, and, and that's a translation actually of one of the biggest, vastest titles that the Old Testament uses for God, Adonai Yahweh. Sometimes it's translated sovereign Lord. The one who governs all things and the one who holds all things together in his hands. We're told he comes with might. We're told his arm rules like a king who's ready to accomplish all of his redeeming purposes for his people. Now, at this point, it's important for us to be honest, right? That oftentimes we live with a quiet suspicion that God is weak. 
that he's unable, powerless, something like ourselves. In the face of a great and grave sin, we, we worry that he's too weak to forgive. In, in the face of changing circumstances or unexpected surprises in life, we worry that he might be too weak to keep his promises, follow through. We're suspicious that he might be too weak to rescue us from our troubles. In the face of the gravest of our fears, we think he's too weak even to raise us from the dead. But if we can believe, if, can God, if God can give us grace to believe in his mighty arm, to, to see it, even against the appearance of things, right? To behold the mightiness of the arm of God, then perhaps this passage can lead us into a life where we can fear not and fight not. Where we can find freedom from fears and and terrors of things that might overpower us and engulf us. And where we can find freedom from having to fight our way through the battlefields of life all the time. Fear not. We find those very words in verse 9. Behold your God, friends. You don't need to be afraid. I don't know if you know the name Jack Grealish, but he's a, a member of the English national soccer team. It's World Cup time. We've got to talk about soccer tonight, right? Football, that is. Recently, I, I saw a video, maybe you saw it as well, where Grealish had an opportunity to, to meet a young fan, 11-year-old Finley, a young boy who actually has cerebral palsy. And Finley wrote a letter to Grealish, as young fans will often do, to their very favorite player and their very favorite sport. And in this video, Grealish reads aloud this letter that this young boy wrote him. The boy, of course, went on and on with overtures about how much he loves this favorite player of his and then proceeded to talk a little bit about his family, his mom. And and then he talks about his dad. He, He says, my dad plays with me in the garden... And he never lets me win. I will one day. And then Jack, as he's reading this letter from this boy into the video screen, he looks up and he says, "Uh, you're going to have to invite me over, Finley. Uh, Then you and me can team up on him, your dad, and I'm sure we'll win. (laughs) Because you know how it works, right? It doesn't matter what your condition is, and no matter how many times you've gotten beat, when you've got a star behind you, when you've got a hero, when you've got a football conqueror on your side, you're going to win. Guess what? Guess who you've got on your team? Guess who has fought for you? Guess who has showed up as the rescuer, the deliverer, the conqueror on your behalf? His name is Jesus. David has slain the giant. The rescuer has crushed the head of the serpent. He can save you. He has reigned victorious, so you don't need to be afraid. You can fear not, and you can fight not. By which I mean you can stop having to always be your own 
conqueror. Right? You can finally exhale if Jesus is on the field, the battlefield, the pitch, as it were. You can finally put down your weapons. You know, that angry impulse that you have, always needing to defend yourself in battle. You can stop having to to fight for a sense of self-worth or reputation while you're up at night all the time, working late. You can rest. You can trust. Listen, evil is strong. Let's make no bones about it. Sin that indwells within is strong. You can't beat it with your own human power. Darkness in this world is relentless, strong. But what does this passage counsel God's people to remember? What does it tell and even command us to do in response? Hit the spiritual gym? You can do it? No. Tells us. Look at the one who's fought for you. Look at the one who's coming back, who's adventing, having won the battles for you. So you can lay down your arms. You can receive and rest in his grace. You can let him be the one who's victorious on your behalf. Listen, some of you tonight need to stop fighting because God will fight for you. And as he told his people, as they were wandering through the wilderness, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Be still, beloved. Behold your God. Do you see his arms of mightiness? But secondly, do you see also his arms of tenderness? Tenderness. Look at verse 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his, his what? Arms. There it is again. His arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Right? And you see it. That the very same arms of mightiness flexing, as it were, Here the prophet describes as arms of tenderness. The same God, mighty and tender, the same God. Who's a God like our God? The picture here, of course, is of a a tender-armed shepherd and his sheep. Now, before we go on to consider what this image teaches us about God, we need to reckon with what it teaches us about us. So, consider this. Now, of all the animals in the world, of all the animals in the world, with which one did God choose to describe his people? It's sheep. Now, listen, you can imagine one day perhaps an eternity past, God lines up all the animals in his creation sort of on a spectrum, in order, right, from one side to the other. 
and you start over here, over on this side, and, and there you find a fox. And, and maybe you see that fox, and you're like, yeah, 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 that, that's me. You know, cunning, smart, sophisticated, uh, a little sneaky. But yeah, that, that's about right. That's, that's the image that I can identify with, right? And then without saying anything, God passes over the fox, moves down the line. And then you, you get a little nervous when he pauses over the pig. But even then, you're like, all right, I'll take it. Unexpected intelligence. Huh? Underdog, right? Okay, pig. Okay. But then God keeps going on down the line. And you start to get discouraged, really discouraged, when he passes over the city pigeons over here. Until finally, way over here, you hear God say, ah, there it is. There's the picture of my people. Sheep. The sheep. Now, we don't get this because who doesn't like sheep, right? Cute, cuddly, stuffed animals, right? All that. But listen, this is what we got to understand about sheep, modern people these days, right? People that Isaiah was talking about, they understood this. We don't get this. Sheep, not the sharpest knife in the, door, in the drawer, right? Sheep, completely defenseless against predators. Sheep, prone to wander off and get lost and not even know that they're lost and then starve and then die. I mean, that's sheep, right? That's it for you right there. And that's who we are, right? So you're the lamb in this picture here in verse 11. And as we've established, I think, it's not a compliment. It's the truth about ourselves that we don't want to accept. That we are foolish. That we are helpless. This is something that's hard to confess in a city like D.C. We are helpless people. We need a shepherd. And what a shepherd we have. He will tend his flock, we're told. That means feed them, give them good grass, not the stinky grass, the good grass to feed on. He will gather the lambs in his arms, holding them close, comforting them, protecting them, even with his own body, don't you see? Almost for certain, Isaiah's listeners would have heard this gathering language as a promise that they would soon be gathered together and return home, restored from exile. As we're told in Isaiah 11, God had said, God will gather the exiled of Israel, the dispersed of Judah. We're told he will carry them in his bosom, his chest, as one commentator notes. That's a, a symbol of intimate, loving care. And no one can snatch them out of his hand. No one can pluck you from his strong arms. 
He will gently lead those that are with young, we're told, which means he has special concern for the vulnerable in his flock. Not only the young lambs themselves, but also, did you notice, the mamas, the mama sheep who are nursing them. Because sometimes those who care for the weak get weak themselves. Caregivers, your shepherd sees you. Your shepherd gently leads you, leads you to water, to rest and refreshment. I mean, we're almost not ready for a shepherd like this because we, 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 Expect a stiff arm from God, and yet he embraces us with open arms. We expect him to keep us at an arm's length, thinking he's sick of us, or he'll reject us because of our moral failings, our our sins. We expect his mercy to run out. Yet time and again we're told in his word and in this passage that he is one who is sympathetic towards our weaknesses, we're told in the book of Hebrews. He's a savior that is gentle and understanding towards us, patient with our infirmities, never lashing out, never running away from us, but his mercy towards us is limitless. No matter how filthy we've made ourselves, no matter how much we ourselves seem to have forfeited his very favor. Pastor and author Dane Ortland, in his book, Gentle and Lowly, penned some effusively beautiful and moving words about the gentleness, the tenderness of our God. I continue to commend that book to you if you haven't read it. Let me just read some of what Brother Dane wrote about our Savior along these lines. And I'll read this extensively. Christ does not cringe at reaching out and touching dirty sinners and numbed sufferers. Such embrace is precisely what he loves to do. Jesus is not trigger happy. Not harsh, reactionary, easily exasperated. He's the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. He wept at the tomb of Lazarus. He weeps with us in our lonely despair. The same one who reached out and touched lepers put his arm around us today when we feel misunderstood and sidelined. The Jesus who reached out and cleansed messy sinners reaches into our souls and answers our half-hearted pleas for mercy with the mighty, invincible cleansing of one who cannot bear to do otherwise. Behold your tender God. This is who he is, tender, open, welcoming, accommodating, understanding, willing. 
Some of us today are running away from God because we don't believe his arms are that tender. Some of us refuse to repent because we don't believe that his arms are that tender, that open wide. Some of us are resolved to fix that thing by ourselves, by our might, our wisdom, all alone, pushing away others even to say nothing of our God because we don't believe that his arms and other people's arms could possibly be that tender. So the invitation, of course, today is will you dare to believe? Will you dare to see and behold your God and his tenderness? 11-year-old Finley eventually did get to meet Jack Grealish, met in person after sending that letter, and the producers set things up, right, and got this on video and all of that. And while they were talking, at one point Jack asked him, in fact, he actually promised him, listen, I'll do a celebration of your choosing next time I score a goal. He threw in the caveat, I haven't scored much, I don't know if this is going to happen, but if I do, I will dedicate it to you, I'll do whatever post-goal celebration that you would like me to do. And little Finley said, well, can you do the worm? Jack said, I can't do the worm. Uh, he said, anything else? What would you like me to do? And the little boy with a big smile on his face, knowing that he was being a little silly, uh, said, Jack, can you just do this? Flopping his arms and making a scene. Jack said, uh, okay, I'll do that. Last week. When England played Iran, maybe you saw the game, maybe you saw this moment. Jack Grealish scored a goal. And afterwards, there he was on the pitch, on the field. Cameras on him and a billion people around the world watching him. And he puts out his arms and he waves them and dangles them just like Finley had asked. I'm convinced God would have done that too. So zealous he is to just delight in his people. So shamelessly tender he is with our requests, with the desires of our hearts. God would have done that and more. In fact, you know, he has done more. I mean, where can we find arms like that? Tender, mighty, arms both powerful and gentle. See, usually we've got to choose between the two, whether if it's in what we expect of other people around us or what we expect to discover within ourselves. We feel like we need to choose. And usually it feels like a choice between either, not just strength, but harsh, domineering might on the one hand, choose between that, or well-intentioned, but pretty withered and unimpressive, powerless gentleness. Where can we find both? And both of the, the real thing, mightiness, tenderness. Well, you know, behold the one who's got all them arms, 
Behold, the one who with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm delivered his people from bondage in Egypt. Behold, the one of whom his mother, when she held him in her womb, sang of him, my soul magnifies the Lord. He has shown strength with his arm, scattering the proud, bringing down the mighty, exalting the humble. Behold, the one who, though having infinitely mighty arms himself, allowed himself to be held at birth in his own mother's arms. Behold, the one who during his life held little children tenderly in his arms, who reached out to touch lepers healingly in his arms and welcomed sinners always with opened arms. Behold, the one whose arms of tenderness were one day finally stretched out with violence as they were pierced by nails on a cross. And don't miss this. Behold the one who's coming again soon and who will at that time stretch out his arms one last time and he'll wipe every tear from every eye. And he'll embrace his people afresh. And sin and death will be no more. Are you tired tonight? Behold your God. Are you angry tonight? See his arms. Behold your God. Are you weak? Behold your God Do you feel hard, impenetrable? Behold your God. Do you feel helpless? Behold your God. He has come to you. He has come to save you. Behold your God. There's one more thing I want to leave you with as we close. You might notice in the beginning of this passage, it's a picture of some news having come to the people of God. And then the prophet is now charging those people who have beheld what they see of a God that is now on his way, coming, returning, adventing. Go now up to a high mountain. Lift up your voice with strength. Herald of good news. And say to the cities of Judah, ruined and in desolation, tell them, behold your God. In other words, who are the heralds in this passage? It's you. It's me. The the commission is that those who have seen the returning king, those that have seen him flex and reach out, who have beheld with their own eyes in their hearts his mightiness and his tenderness. Now you are to be heralds of his coming, of this God spreading this message, this good news, this breaking news that God is on the move, that he's coming, that he's here, that he'll come again. So heralds, tell people about it. This Advent, with your words, with your deeds, your hospitalities, Tell them with your talk. Tell them with your table spread out before them. 
Behold your God who loves you so. Bring comfort to them. You yourselves being agents of his tear-wiping hands, his arms extended in compassion to those around you who are weak, who are just laid out. And go out bringing strength to those that are weak, that can't go on, that need a shoulder to lean on, that need somebody to help pick them out of a pit. And many of you know what that feels like. Be heralds of this God. Behold him and then call others to behold him too. Beloved, see this God and tell others to see him too. Fleming Rutledge, who author, preacher, so helpfully wrote a book on Advent, said this, to each and all we bring this announcement. God will come and his justice will prevail and he will destroy evil and pain in all its forms once and forever. That's your news. Take it everywhere you go. Do you see that he came? That he's coming again? That he's coming towards you now? Behold your God. Dear flock of God, what do you see? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we're asking that you would open our eyes, that we would see you, Christ, and all that you promised to be for us in your tenderness and in your might. Make us to be more like you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.